What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor Brian Wagner. This week, I've got the man that has more hats than a hat rack on his head, Tyler Crosno. Tyler, what's going on? What's up, brother? Good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. No problem, man. Good, good to see you as always. You know, it's the, uh, it's the uh, not the off season. It's just a slight winter break for some of us. It's shorter than others, right? Exactly. I, I told somebody the other day, I said, it's not an off season. It's a time when race cars don't go down the racetrack. And it's the time that you have to plan for cars to go down said track again, right? Yep. Oh, and it's, I told somebody the other day, I've had a busier week this week coming back from PRI number one, number two, just county meetings, comprehensive plans, end of year annual reports, all, all that type of stuff. And everybody's like, Gosh, I thought the offseason was easy. I'm like, no, it's worse. <laughs> Wait, I mean, everybody tells me on the internet that you just throw the gates open to a track and, you know, things run themselves. The grass is cut. Yeah, and, and you, you know, you 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 kick off a weekend event like you're literally just wiping the sweat off your brow with $100 bills. I mean, I thought this stuff was easy, man. I did too. That's what they told me from the outside. I was like, man, this is going to be a breeze. Not so much. <laughs> and then reality kicks in right yeah then the light switch came on no <laughs> yeah, then it's like oh a little different it it it, it always cracks yeah. me up and when you've been on both sides of the fence it actually i think it makes you a better spectator and racer for sure because you have a lot of respect for everything that get, goes into a making this stuff happen yeah it's it made me a better promoter it's made me a better track operator from knowing the racing side and then getting back in the car every now and then, it makes me a better racer, knowing the racetrack and knowing how things work and everything like that. So it's kind of, if you know all sides of it, it's good. If you want to know all sides of it, if not, don't blame you one bit. <laughs> and, and it gives you the patience of a saint because, yeah. you know, I always tell the story. It always cracks me up when people complain about the track. It was, you know, with a outlaw street car union down at a beach bend and that dude was just wearing you out on the starting line we won't say his name about the track conditions and hancock goes out there and just uncorks a pass you look at the boards look at him and he just walks away i'm like that right <laughs> that, yep. that that that's how it goes uh, that's all you get down there but look look it's like looking at the scoreboard at a basketball game yeah. <laughs> and granted, there are times where there are challenges with the track surface and whatnot. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I've, you know, come from the years from crewing, racing, being around it. The, there might be challenges with the track. You're going to have to tune around it because there's sometimes where there is no magical bullet that the best track prep guy in the world can shoot that track with to fix it. Exactly. And it's just, and a lot of people think it's the same every day. Humidity affects it. Temperature affects it water intake affects it water table affects it. it it's there's so many things that affect rubber bondage the glue that we spray if you're mixing how much do you mix if you're not are you really going 100 percent when it's 90 degrees outside and there's so many things that that go into it that everybody else from the outside never takes never takes into advantage so it's it's definitely a science um i'm blessed to have learned it from a younger age and then know it coming up so it's it's nice to have that tool in the toolbox, but I hate having to use it sometimes. Oh, I swear I saw Kurt Johnson one time, like, you know, measuring the air, lick his finger, measuring the air, sniffing and licking the track. I mean, that dude, like, and then he, like, goes through and mixes a little formula up, looks over his shoulder, makes sure no one's paying attention, and then, you know, goes out and sprays and magic happens. You know, that's that's what you guys do. Exactly. Make it look good. 90% visual, 10% operation. It looks, yeah, it, lo it looks good. <laughs> Just, just don't go too out far and look at it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's funny we talk about this, and I always say that, you know, I think you're older than me at times, but, you know, you're wise beyond your years at running facilities, events, and everything else. And kind of in the same vein, you know, what are some of the most important things you've learned over the years that have helped contribute to your success? Kind of looking back at, you know, young Tyler to Tyler of today, like what are those, you know, finger the light socket things that you've learned over the years that have made you better at what you do? Patience. Um, I'm a lot more patient now than I used to be. So don't ask me, don't tell my employees that they think I'm like hotter on the collar and ready to pop at all times. But, but um, patience on, on a lot of big projects. I, I've always had a really bad problem of wanting everything now. Like 
oh, this this would make a big difference. Let's do that now. <laughs> and it just doesn't work that way. Um, being that I've now come to the racetrack here in Virginia, seeing the financial side of it, I, I've never done that part until last season. So now I know the, okay, hey, we can't spend that money right now. We need to plan that for another year. Or now I understand a five-year plan. Always understood it from a younger age, but now it's like, now I really understand a five-year plan. Now you got to sign so, off on it. Yeah, exactly. Now you have to put your name on it and say you're going to do it. It's not fun. No, but patience is probably the best thing. Um, being able to talk to people and understanding their side, um, as well as understanding and turning around the racetrack side or the series side and putting it in a language that they can understand. Um, I have a really, really bad problem of talking scientifical or the knowledge of the series or the timing system or the racetrack or whatever, and not being able to bring that down to a level of someone who doesn't have the same definitions or the same mindset. So I've learned that over the last two years, really, um, because that's been a, that's been a problem of mine, not really a problem, but just a, Hey, you're not trying to talk over somebody, but that's the way I learned it. So it's like, that's how you describe it. But when nobody else has the past knowledge of it, they kind of look at you like, what is this guy talking about? But being able to converse a really complex situation into something that's simple that everybody can understand, regardless of their amount of knowledge of the of the situation. Um, that's been something that I've learned over the last few years. And then um, Tommy has really taught me a lot about running a business, really keeping employees, taking care of your people, number one, number two keeping the business side of the, the operations running with not letting people get into overtime, really harnessing down certain things that are, that keep an employee happy, you know, um, you know, given what we're planning tonight, we have a Christmas party for our employees. Um, this is only like the second time ever in 20 something years that a Christmas party has been done, but little things like that go a long way. And um, we really hit a lot of that comes from Tommy. Um, I get a lot of credit for things that I, that come that are passed down. Hey, go do this. This will work. And um, I get a lot of credit for that, but all the credit goes to Tommy for that kind of stuff. And, and you know, you mentioned leading people and I think that's very important when it comes to, to racing. I've known this, I've seen this with a few other tracks and I always use Bader as an example, you know, th this past year at the NMRA race, you know, Evan Smith and I were snapping pictures of him in the water box, you know, wearing the white pants and the striped uniform, running yep. the water box, you know, and if you did not know who Bill Bader is, you just think he was, you know, your, your typical track worker. And what's funny is that that's the example of leading from the front that, you know, I think that's what you see in all the successful racing series is you have people and tracks, people leading from the front. Yes. And I've had, I've had management meetings here that there's a difference in a leader and a boss, a leaders out there with you pushing, Whatever the project is, a boss is sitting there telling you what to do and going to put his feet up. And you're going to get a lot more respect being a leader, even though if you've already done it 15 times, there's that one person that hasn't seen you do it or knows that you can do it or whatever. And it's also that I guess it's just a piece from a from a regular employee that knows, hey, man, if it gets tough, I know my I know my leaders coming in and going to get in the trenches with me instead of man, this guy just told me what to do. I don't know what to do. I might lose my job because I don't know how to do this the right way. So I've always told all of my, all of my employees and, and all the management stuff that I've ever been a part of, be a leader, don't be a boss. Totally, totally. One of the best ways to look at it and kind of, you know, looking at that as well, let's get your take on this, you know, being a leader versus being a boss has been an interesting challenge. And, in, you know, I guess we'll call it the COVID era. I don't ever know what to say yeah. anymore. You know, I just kind of, you know, show up and, and deal with it like everybody exactly else really you know but at the same time i've tried to use this as in my own personal professional way you know try to learn from it and get better at doing certain things of what i do what have you guys learned on the the track management track running side and and the pdra side of things when it comes to covid to actually make things better post-covid we learned a lot during covid i will say that um a lot of people sat back and just let it happen and said, you know what, whatever they tell us we can do, we're going to do that type thing. 
Um, we kind of took a different approach. Uh, really pushed hard on the VMP side to at least get open for test sessions, whatever it was, non-spectator events, um, pushed, put in plans through the county, region, state, um, and got open earlier than the majority of other motorsports venues in our area and even on the East Coast. On the PDRA side, it got a lot harder. Um, as I was starting to get Virginia at a point of, all right, we're starting to do test sessions, we're starting to do small, small events, but events. Um, then you have to go and learn North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. Now you start incorporating other states and it's like, uh, I thought I already had this figured out. <laughs> so then you're working with other tracks, their county leaders, their administrators, anything like that to figure out what is the right way to do business there. On the PDRA side, we took a different form compared to most. Um, we were okay racing without fans. Um, we made the changes to our purses, to our expenses, everything like that, to where basically the racers kind of funded the program between the racers and the marketing partners that we had. Um, they basically paid for the program that year. Well, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. A lot of people took a lot of sacrifices. Um, a lot of racers were not really a lot of racers. A couple of racers questioned the move, but it was either, I mean, it got down to the point of we either make this move, cut purses back, take away some things that are not as important as others, and in, in of sorts hit a reset button, but you're still able to go race. You're able to go race for a championship anything like that. And every racer that we talked to was a hundred percent on board and really got behind the series. And I really think that's when PDRA took a turn. Um, a lot of other series pulled back, just kind of said, hold on, let me keep this close to the chest. I don't know what I want to do right now. And we really got out there and just said, you know what, let's put together a plan where the series can sustain itself, where we can continue on another year or years down the road and not put it in a point where, Oh boy, you know, you gotta, you've got to come out of 20 with a gangbusters 21 to make up for 20. Um, there were some people that tried that and it did not work out well for them, but our racers, our marketing partners, everybody involved with PDRA was involved with the decisions that we made and everybody was 100% behind us. And, and that was really what made PDRA take a turn because I feel like we were the only ones racing for a couple of months and it was all eyes on PDRA. And ever since, and we've just kind of rode that wave and it's steadily gotten better and better. And, um, and we're going into 2022 hot and heavy and it, it looks like it's going to be a good season. Well, you, you'd probably learn a lot from the operation side of things too, where you can really yep. make things more efficient. And then when you circle back around and that, that old money faucets opened up a little bit more, you can put it back, towards the racers and things like that correct and that, and that's exactly what we've done um going from 20 to 21 we made a considerable change in purses um didn't go back to where we were pre-covid pre-covid our purses were a little so to say top heavy I, I felt like they were top heavy um so we paid our purses instead of putting that money right back on top we realized that hey look there's 16 cars that qualify there's only one winner so we paid that purse back um, just to qualify for Pro Nitrous Pro Boost. You, you get your entry fee and almost all of your testing feedback. So being able to basically you get free entry if you qualify is kind of a way it's a play on words, so to speak. But um, to be able to put money in everybody's hands that qualifies in our Pro Nitrous Pro Boost divisions is, is very important to us. Um, we're trying to build that in, in all of our classes, but to do so that takes major marketing support, and, and takes major racer support, which we're getting there. And I, and I really feel like by the beginning of the 22 season, you could see that um, for this year. And then as that grows, then we could see that going forward and, and expanding the series even more. But we're excited for 22. Um, I, I cherish all the knowledge that I got out of COVID. Um, I was talking to Joe Rivera one day during COVID. I remember the conversation and him and I were talking about, you know, kind of how's the, how is it different? What, what's the better and stuff like that? And, and I remember saying, and I don't know why I said it, 
um, I said, during COVID, the strong get stronger and the weak get weaker. And I really feel like that's how it went because you see the strong ones that, that pushed forward and put their head down and said, we're going to be successful. They continued to get stronger and climb the ladder. But the ones that were kind of right on the edge of, do I want to continue this or am I safe where I'm at? I'm just going to sit back and let it happen. Um, you saw them fall and we hate to see that, but at the same time, you've got to stay hungry, especially in a market and in a world that we're in right now. And going into 22, it's going to be interesting because, you know, who knows what's going to happen with COVID, you know, and God knows what else, you know, there could be aliens dancing on the white house lawn on Tuesday, but no doubt. on the flip side of that, now you've got, you know, the, the inflation and the fuel price issue. And I think that again, plays into if you were smart during COVID, you should be able to ride that out a little bit better. And I think, you know, some of your big money bracket races are going to be an example of what happens when someone tries to spring up and do something because if they make money on it, I think it's going to be the strong survive there too. Yep. It's, we have really taken a defensive method again. We were, so we pulled and and it's a weird deal, but we, I've always said you pull defensive when, when stuff like this happens. We did that during COVID. 21, we kind of got on the offensive a little bit with our uh, Pro Stars program coming out. That's a you know big money. I think we paid paid out fifty five or sixty thousand dollars. No entry fee to the racers. You earned that through through racing with the series all year, and and we're a top performer. So so you got to come race for free. But again, going into twenty two, kind of on the defensive again. You see fuel prices going up. See inflation of everything across the country. Um, products are hard to get now. You know, we're, we're all as it as bad as it sounds, everybody's oh, you can grab eight, eight drums of traction compound, you need to grab it, or you know, timing system backups and, and, and all that type stuff. It products are hard to come by, especially in the petroleum world right now. And and we're all just slowly trying to grab as we can, so where we're all prepared for the season, but there's a lot of people that are not taking that approach. And it's it's going to be difficult because there's only so much right now, and and going forward there's chemical problems that that some companies can't get, and, and going into that going into the season, there's going to be a lot of question marks um, on something as important as traction compound even. It's going to be really really interesting how kind of some of some of this is going to play out, and we're going to take a quick break here on the Dragzine podcast. When we come back. I'm going to talk with Tyler about, you know, some more VMP stuff and what he's learned and some of the knowledge he can help uh, disperse to other tracks out there. So quick pause. We'll be right back. Elderbrock introduces the new Victor CNC 12 degree six bolt cylinder heads for the GM LS7 application, specifically designed for maximum effort, naturally aspirated and boosted applications. Elderbrock Victor CNC 12 degree six bolt cylinder heads for the GM LS7 engines are designed with 0.220 raised intake runners and 0.100 raised exhaust ports that provide a better line of sight into the cylinders and allow for an improved short turn. The raised intake runner design fits both stock and aftermarket LS7 intake manifolds and can be used with stock or aftermarket valve train setups. The heads also utilize popular GM LS6 bolt design, making them compatible with GM LSX race blocks, aftermarket aluminum, and iron blocks with 6-point bolt LS race block designs. The 6-bolt design offers increased clamping capacity over the standard factory full-bolt configuration and greatly improves head gasket sealing, ideal for high-compression, naturally aspirated engines, and high-boost applications. You can learn more at elderbrock.com. All right. We're back on the Dragzine podcast with Tyler Crossno. And Tyler, you know, we, we've hit on some interesting subjects so far, but you've helped grow VMP since you kind of came on board with the Franklin. That's obvious. You know, you've helped a lot with the facility. And I want to get your take on this because I've, again, I, I play a play cat bird a lot of times. I, I just, I watch things on social media in the media in general. I don't, pontificate my opinion on it because not a lot of people really care what I have to say and that's perfectly fine but I, I pay attention and one of the things I've noticed is you guys at VMP specifically seem to have really been growing your weekly bracket program yeah. and there's other tracks that I think that might need to uh, perk their ears up a little bit to this I want to get your take on 
kind of what you guys did and what you think would help tracks kind of grow those weekly programs and uh, put asses in seats. Yeah, that's something that we really took close to the chest in 21. Um, we know how important that sportsman level of bracket racing is, not only the big money series, but the weekly series. Um, we started our triple threat bracket series last season as uh, three races. Most of them were three days, hence the name triple threat. Um, big money series, but lower entry fee um, really gave our local stars somewhere to go that was not a, a long travel. Um, you know, there's the long travel races like the Flings, the SFG races, all the races down south in the winter, um, that type thing. And we really saw a void in our area of good, bigger money bracket racing, but paying it back good and a lower respectable entry fee. Um, that's not possible with a promoter because promoters going to have to come in and they're going to have to pay the racetrack something. So they have to be a little more expensive and things like that. So taking that product in-house, we were able to offer better round money and a cheaper entry fee than most of the promoter events and really saw a lot of support on that. Um, we did our first mega bucks race in July where we paid 75,000 to win at the main event and we capped it at 400 entries. The race sold out before we got in, which was almost a shock. I, I expected it to be good. 100%. Um, but to sell out the first race that we've ever done a pre-entry, I was just almost just kind of astonished um, that people were ready to roll They're you know, they're excited on a brand new program, but that comes from the support and the, just the dedication of our crew here. They do a great job. And, and then our continuous program for the, the VP fuels ET bracket series that we have for our local points racers. And I can remember when I moved here, the racing was always good. Um, there was, you know, everybody got two time trials on Saturday. You came in, raced, and you ran till you know, 9, 10 o'clock at night. And now the, the program has seen so much growth. Um, this season we had over 300 entries multiple times on, on two-day bracket races that we run for points. And to be able to add that in to a, to a calendar that's jam-packed, you know, knowing that you're coming into a, a points race, that a lot of people look at as, a, oh, that's an easy weekend. It's not an easy weekend when you got 300 cars in the parking lot. Um, we don't allow double entries. We paid a very solid purse. Um, but to do, but also a part of that, we in Super Pro and Footbreak, we put a 80 car bonus program, I guess you would call it. Um, if each class, each class was separate from this. So if one did it, one didn't, it, it was all based on each individual's class participation. Um, as long as there were over 80 entries, we added to the purse. Paid more money to winner, runner-up, semis, and round money. So everything got increased. Not a big jump, but it was enough. Um, our purse for Super Pro was $2,500. If you got over 80, it was $3,000 to win. Um, so round money bumped. Everything bumped accordingly with that. Um, we had, I think, 10 or 10 or 12 points races in 21, and every one of them was 3000 to win for Super Pro. So we were over 80 entries every race. But by doing that, instead of going out on a limb and saying, hey, I'm going to pay 3000 to win at every race, if you had weather, if you had an off weekend, if there was a scheduling conflict, you were protected a little bit. But at the same time, the racers saw that Hey, if we go support them, they support us. And, and that mindset really took going forward. And even on our foot brake side, um, we were over 80, I believe 70% of the events. So they all ran for their original purse was 1500 to win. Then they ran for 2000. So all of those racers did as well. And one thing that, that I've learned here that's completely different from where I grew up in, in Tennessee is that the junior dragster program here is, absolutely huge um one of the first point traces i ever worked i was like all right we're gonna call juniors and we're going to get foot brake moving or super pro or whoever the next class was um up to the lanes because i was i came from memphis west tennessee north mississippi where you had five six ten ten juniors you were packed Woo, boy i don't know if we can run ten but we we got them here we'll, we'll do our best with them 
And the first points race I ever worked here, there were 66 injuries in junior drags. Whoa. And that was at a points race. That's every weekend. Our worst crowd of the year was 42 injuries in juniors. That's nuts. And and the the youth here is they're eager. They love the sport. The parents are the parents are parents. Let's just be honest. But we have some good ones. Um, and they're very dedicated to their kids. That that's one thing that I will say. Um, some of them are overly passionate. That's the professional way to say that, in case anybody wonders. And but they're that way because they want to see their kids succeed. And, and at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people will get frustrated with junior parents. I'm one of them. I, I will I will get frustrated with people. I'm like, goodness gracious, like, come on now. We're out here to have fun. But they want to see their kids succeed just like you would want to see your child succeed as well. So I love to see it. Um, I love to see the sport growing from a youth standpoint. Uh, we just have had a couple of juniors come out. Um, or just had one get into his dad's uh, super pro car the last two races of the year because he's aged out of juniors, got him some seat time at the end of the year in a big car and did excellent. Um, kid has been a, a star in junior drag. He won Eastern Conference finals and um, jumped into his dad's super pro car and, and looks like he's been in it for years. So to see the, the youth of the sport growing in, in the family manner is great. And then now we just got to continue to, to have their back, push them forward. And, and some of the older guys don't need to beat up on them so bad, you know, let, let the young guns win a little bit every now and then. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that you guys kind of the, the way that you structured those purses and paying it back further and you see direct growth on that. And I've, yeah. I've noticed here locally, some of the tracks have paid a little bit more. They're running a tighter program and people are, it seems like they're staying more local to race and they're only going to some of the bigger events. Cause let's be real here. You can spit and hit, you know, a 20 K bracket race, just about anywhere in the country these days, which is yep. awesome for bracket racers, but you know, you're, you're choking out the feeder line at the local level and that's a problem. So right. I think, I, I think it's good. And I think it's important to see local, you know, the local tracks, you know, doing that, you know, I've, I've heard rumors that, Norwalk has had upwards of 500 people for their, for their, their, their point series, which that's insane. Crazy. It's crazy. I've seen it, but they, it it is true. All right. So that, that is Tyler verified. That is true. And they, and if you've never been, they get it done. I was going to say, if you've ever been to an event at summit Motorsports park, you'd understand why, because it doesn't matter what's going on there. There are cars going down the track. Doesn't matter. They are firing them down the track. Sort of like Jason Miller at the World Cup. It's like one in the box, one in the chamber, one at the top end, lather, rinse, repeat until there are no cars left. Until it's all over. And and that's the hardest thing that you have at times is is you have to train racers. And if you give them a point of, hey, that guy in the burnout box didn't tell me to do a burnout. Well, we just burned five seconds. And when when you're running a race and we have a curfew here um, of 11 p.m. So when you're running an event, five seconds a pair adds up a lot. So you have to stay on top of your employees on events like that, where you're like, and you hate doing it. Cause it's like, Hey man, come on. I know your arms are tired, but like, we got to go. And, and they will, I mean, they'll, they'll hustle it through and racers bring them back to the lanes and cool them and fuel them in the lanes, boys, let's roll. And they yeah. will, they'll, they'll do it. And again, I think that comes back to something that all tracks need to kind of look at is again, it's how you treat your racers and in your employees that yep. if you, if you're fair to everybody, you do things right. They will respond to these expedited racing situations Correct. accordingly. Correct. It's like, you know, I'm training a puppy right now. You got to set the expectation and let them know what's up. Yep. You otherwise, you otherwise, have... otherwise they try to bite you. Exactly. And they will bite hard. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I, I could say it from a racer's point of view and a crew member's point of view, because but before I knew any better, I was one of those guys. And then yeah. once you kind of get educated on it real quick, you're like, all right, cool. you know, let's dial it back. Let's be a little bit more respectful. And you, you learn and you grow and you make everybody's life easier. You do. And and, and I've taken a, a little bit of a different approach at times to events because when, when somebody goes to work or somebody goes to their business, the one thing that, that is common across a workplace is structure. And everybody out there wants structure. They can say they don't. They can say they want a circus and they can say they want whatever happens, happens. 
But at the end of the day, they want to know when they're going to run. They want to know when the the pro show or the the faster class, the premier class is going to run. And they want to know when they can get there and want to know when they can go home. But the most importantly, they want to know when they can go eat. Let's just be honest. And to be able to give that to people like from the start and say, hey, look, here's the schedule. Here it is. Boom. This is your this is the day's plan. And by being able to be upfront about that with racers and with fans seems to go a long way because people like and enjoy structure. They want to know what's going on. See, Tyler, that, that's right in my wheelhouse. You and I could go into business together selling tracks on this idea. We're going to call it the three P's program, payouts, prep, and program. You do those three things. It doesn't matter if you're running swamp buggies in Florida or snowmobiles in North Michigan. You do those three things, racers are going to be happy. Exactly. It's very simple. Sometimes the KISS method works. Yeah. Just that, you know, that's, you know, I've seen it at, you know, at Memphis at the Outlaw Street car, you bracket guys making hits when it's snowing. They don't care. The, the, the track is there. It's safe. We got to keep hitting it. And you tell them, hey, I'm going to give you guys five hits in a row. Guess what? They're going to be fueling and charging in the lanes to get those yep. five hits as long as it's quasi safe. You know, the radio yep. guys are sitting there in their park is freezing, but those bracket guys, they'll, they're just like, they're like gold retrievers, man. They'll run until they can't run no more. We add, I remember we added a consolation race in just thinking, ah, heck, let's just see how many jump in. You know, we had a cold, cold front and it, it was 44, 45 degrees, but it was snowing. And um, 7.0 and 6.0 index, they ran all day long in the snow. It was crazy. And then we, when the snow stopped, we ran Radio Versa World and broke the world record. Yeah. I, like <laughs> Back I, in the good I, days of Radio Versa World. I, I remember sitting trackside, you know, and I was talking with my dad. I'm like, this is actually happening right now. Like these, like snow is landing on my camera and guys are making hits. I'm like, you know. Let's hey, it works. It, it works. It was a very odd weekend because it was snowing one day, and less than twenty-four hours later, it was seventy-two degrees. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a great. Uh, that's a great kind of commercial for the weather in the Midwest and the Mid South. Like it just you go from your AC to your heater on one day. Oh no doubt. Or, or that, sometimes that one, that one was definitely the race that probably I, I want to say probably catapulted my career. Um, just for the fact that there was so much, huh? Like y'all did what? And, and then it just steadily went from there. But uh, I mean, looking back on it now, you go, God, that was stupid. Like, <laughs> but it was, it was one of those deals where, man, it was fun. We had a good time. Nobody got hurt. We had, I, I mean, nothing bad went wrong on that day, but it was just people were lined in that facility like crazy. And, and man, we went fast. Oh boy, did we go fast. Speaking of going fast, Let's talk about the the PDRA Super Street class, you know, kind of let's first set the stage. Why don't you tell our listeners and viewers what the PDRA Super Street 28-inch class is all about, you know, what it is, the whole deal. So PDRA has now debuted a 28-inch slick tire class. Um, Last season, we debuted uh, Pro Street, which was 33.10.5, kind of basically old outlaw 10.5, gave it a new name, gave it some new life tried to kind of pick things up a little bit. Class had, had thrown on radials and kind of gotten away from the slick. Uh, we tried that at PDRA. And with so many big tire pro mods, top sportsman, top dragster, the radial prep just did not fit. Um, we were either helping a class, but we were screwing two others. Um, so it just it was not a good fit for us. And we sat back in the offseason and said, man, let's, let's bring back 33 racing because that was exciting back in the day when it was slicks only slicks only bars, you know, the whole, the whole rule book. And um, we brought that back and and really had some, some strong racing, some impressive side-by-side racing um, car counts grew all year long um, and really looking forward to seeing that same program growing again in the same breath. We also saw a void for 28 inch slick tire racing um, back when I was younger Um Orska Limited Street, Orska Easy Street, those days, um, the Super Street kind of name fits the Pro Street name. Uh, we were we were trying to fight back and forth on what's the name going to be. But with Pro Street being 33s, it was like it fits. Just 
doop, like, like, don't make this as hard. Don't make this harder than what it really is. Uh, so we introduced Super Street at the PRI show last week. Uh, the rule book is actually coming out probably later today or early, early next week. Um, and it's going to be basically kind of a morph of X275 and Ultra Street on a 28-inch slip. No bars and pretty much it. It's pretty fun. It's going to be a good time. And I, I think that that, to me, is a super smart move because – Chad Reynolds and Brian Lode started beating this drum a while ago. And then I, I joined the chorus that radio racing is awesome. It's awesome to go fast, but here it comes. But, but it's a big, but too. But <laughs> the radial prep and the time it takes is problematic. And I, here's why. And some people would nail me to the cross about this. It's not spectator friendly. Not I, a bit. You're not going to sell me on it. After seeing what you guys did at the PDRA race at Norwalk, being around radio racing, being around slick tire racing, hearing the comments from people that, you know, oh, every time I turn on the live feed, there's a tractor going on. Tractor. That's not what people want to see. No. We'll use the NHRA as an example. Fair to say, pretty much all slick tire cars. The longest shuffle I've seen them do is a 15-minute shuffle, scraping both lanes, prepping on a hot day. That's it. And then they run for hours, hours with an H. Watching what you guys did up there, running for hours with an H. If there was not oil or fluid on the track, cars were going down it. And I think bringing your X275 Ultra Street style cars into that mix what it gives guys the ability to use their cars more period. Correct. It, it gives guys a place to race. And, and there's a lot of guys that are, t- are tired of watching a tractor. 100%. Um, I was the one riding the tractor for a lot of years. So it's really funny for a lot of people to go, man, you were that guy. And I'm like, yeah. And I grew up and used my head because you sit there from the tractor seat and watch it and you know, you, you watch these people that pay $20 a head to get in and watch this drag race. And as soon as I look in the grandstands, it's like, they're gone because they see a tractor. But we've taken that and remodeled the run order at PDRA, um, remodeled classes even. And, and mainly it was the run order and the time schedule and how we do things because our goal is to race more than we prep, 100%. We had a problem of that before. By fixing that, Changing the run order around, we can usually go prep in front of Pro Nitrous, run Pro Nitrous, Pro Boost, Pro Street, Pro Stock, do a shuffle after Pro Stock with the flat drag, flat drag or rotator, whichever one we have. And after that, we don't touch the racetrack again until Pro Nitrous comes back. And that's kind of been my goal is if you can make the racetrack good enough to run your top classes, it's going to fall off a little as, as it goes, but run your classes that are higher horsepower, like our pro street class that's on 10 fives. The super street class will be on 28s pro stock kind of wants a little bit more slip on the starting line. 632s in between uh, pro nitrous motorcycles in there as well. So then when you get through all your pro show that we have at the PDRA, then you have top sportsmen and top dragsters that are bracket racing going three seventies and three eighties. Um, those guys want to stick the tire drive off and be as consistent as they can. Um, them following a 632 class is perfect because 632s played a nice base. Top sportsman, top dragster comes behind them and they just want to stick and drive. Um, they're not trying to rotate the world. They want a consistent racetrack. Well, by running an hour and a half of a pro show, it takes the aggressive snap out of the glue. So the track is more consistent for a top sportsman, top dragster car. And then we'll funnel in our, our regular top sportsman, top dragster, back half fields. After that, we bring in our junior dragsters. And for the juniors, the racetrack's not so sticky that they can't stage their own car. Um, it puts it in into the driver's hands as it should be. You're not making crazy adjustments on a clutch or trying to tighten a belt up or any, anything like that. You're not changing your normal routine because of a racetrack being too good or not good enough. And, and that even goes down to the juniors. I think it's, again, just the idea of seeing an X car 
on 28s and giving like the other thing a lot of people don't I, I think they forget and realize again is these numbers that guys like Goss are running and you know Rob Ron Rhodes running they are amazing but not yes. everybody can afford to run that correct and putting these cars on slicks you're gonna have guys again if it was me and I had a car that you know was a tweener we'll say drag it out of the barn, go race it. Even if you yeah. only race for eight PDRA races, it's better than that thing just sitting there. Go have yep. fun with it, you know? In, in my opinion, again, slicks are a great equalizer because it's a lot easier to be able to salvage your bad run on slicks and his radials. 100%. So once you spin the radial, it's over. Um, and, and and when you pedal a radial, it's unsafe. I mean, we, we've all seen that. So – I'm really looking forward to seeing what the class does. Um, I haven't put this out anywhere yet, so I'll I'll say it here. We're going to begin Super Street in 2022 with four races. Um, we'll have those races out in the next couple of days or so. But Pro Street will be back for six races, and Super Street will debut with four. Hopefully, we get a good – we're hoping for a good car count, a good diversity of cars, so we can really harness the rules down this season. That's really our goal. Um, we've got a good platform. We think we're close, but before we make this a championship class, we want to make sure that the, that the supports there. We want to make sure people enjoy the class and are going to come race the PDRA with us. And we want to get the rules a hundred percent right before we go throwing out a championship fund or big money purse or anything like that. Um, same thing with pro street. We've, we've made a couple little, little changes. That was our, our first season for running them for a championship was this year in 21. Um, Tim Essick took home the, the world championship and his Mustang, Jesse Lambert and, and Ty Casper were top three. But we look at that category going forward, make a couple small changes. There's already been cars built for the class, um, built this past year to come run PDRA Pro Street. So I feel like our small tire group is growing. Um, for a long time, I grew up in small tire, promoted small tire. And, and really wanted to see that make a home in PDRA. But until we got the radial tire out of there, it, it didn't. I'll be honest. The radial guy said the racetrack wasn't good enough, and the big tire guy said the racetrack was too good. So we were stuck in the middle there. And then now by kind of taking a page out of the the dip back in the times files and, and going back to the slicks on, on small tires, it's been a major success for not only the racers in the PDRA, but also from the fans. Uh, we hear that a lot whenever we go in. We like, we hear people say, man, I like how that car looks real. That looks like a real, like Tim Essex's car looks like a real Mustang. Jesse Lambert's car looks like a real Mustang. Randy Lambert's new Camaro looks like a real Camaro. And that to us is good because that brings in a different demographic of fan because they look at Tommy Franklin's 69 Camaro Pro Mod, which is awesome. I mean, it, it's a great looking car. It's an awesome deal. And it, has the visual of a 69 Camaro, but it's not a pro street car that looks like it rolled off the floor and it's coming in here about to go four rows, three nineties. Good stuff there. We're going to take another quick break on the drag zine podcast. When we come back, we'll uh, enter the home stretch and uh, pick Tyler's brain about a few other things and have a little bun fun. So uh, we'll be right back here on the drag zine podcast. The new line of Elderbrock VRS4150 race and performance carburetors are packed with features that will appeal to racers, engine builders, carb tuners, as well as the hot street enthusiasts looking to improve performance. The VRS4150 is a street-friendly but race-ready carburetor. The one-piece cast aluminum body fits all 4150 and 4500 carb flange manifolds without requiring an adapter plate and are available in 650, 750, 850, and 950 CFM models. To learn more about the VRS 4150 carburetor, visit elderbrock.com. All right, we're back on the Dragzine podcast with Tyler Crossno. And Tyler, we are talking about the 28-inch class, which is going to be interesting. Um, you know, it's awesome you guys are doing something with slick-related stuff because if guys want to run radio series, there are series out there that are for radios on the Go, 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 go have your peach mango tea. You can have your hard lemonade too. It's we got all the flavors in the drag racing world these days, which exactly. is awesome, which is what I love. I like anything loud, fast and dangerous. Um, 
We got a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it works out great. Now kind of going off of that, you know, what do you think heads up door slammer racing really needs to do to bring its popularity to an even higher mainstream level? Because, you know, if, if you look at this from a really like from a, if you're sitting on the moon and the earth is the drag racing world and you kind of split it up, it's, it's very sectionalized. And everybody in the one area thinks that theirs is the biggest and the greatest thing. And, you know, if you, if you break it down into a pie, some people aren't going to like this and say drag racing NHRA, it's going to take up a big slice of the pie. Then you got bracket racing. Then you got no prep and radio racing and everything else. You know, what do you think that, that, that the outlaw door slammer heads up style racing, what does it need to do to uh, grow even more? Really, and this has been the the question of, of our meetings since the World Finals in October. Um, what is the next step? Um, we feel like we're at a level with the PDRA going into the ninth season um, that we're at a spot where it's time to either like it's time to make a jump, it's time to make a move, make some changes. Um, and really, it comes down to the racers. I know that sounds weird, um, and not on the racetrack either. It's all about we have a lot of stars in the PDRA and taking them and making them stars is harder than you would expect. Um, you don't have national television. You don't have a street outlaws TV show. You don't have a Fox on FS1 show. So getting racers to promote themselves is probably the most difficult thing that I've ever seen in my life. Um, which is really weird. Cause like you give them a post on Facebook and boy, they'll go at it, <laughs> but you tell them to, Hey man, look, we need you to send in like a, an email with your car information, your, your sponsors, who, what's changing for 22, blah, blah, blah. And we'll push that and promote you crickets. And it's the weirdest thing in the world to me because drag racers and racers in general are egomaniacs. 100% that everybody out there is going, no, not me, <laughs> but there is nothing better than getting online clicking on dragzing.com and seeing your name on the header. Hey, Johnny Placino just came from behind to, to win Extreme Pro Stock. Jim Halsey goes three-time back-to-back-to-back world champion in Pro Nitrous. Randy Weatherford takes Daniel Ferris's championship away. Kevin Ravenbark wins the title. There's nothing better than seeing your name in lights. People can say what they want to. No, I, you know, I, I like to be the guy behind the scenes. You might be. But a little bit of fire inside of you says, that guy noticed that I did something good. 100%, every one of them does it. And there's a way to do it where it's classy, but not bragging. And the more racers that will see this and say, man, you know, I should promote Pat Musi Racing Engines or Proline Racing, whoever, or Pro Charger or Nitrous Outlet, or whoever's helping make my program what it is, gives me deals or, or helps me do whatever I'm doing. And then for the fact of, you know, the, the, at the end result, we want fans to come out and see us because, hey, we've got these, we've got $20,000 worth of T-shirts in the trailer. We'd like to sell those. I, I mean, as a race team. So, so as, as racers will understand the fact of, hey, the, the more you push and the more you get out there, the quicker and, and more adaptive fans are to putting a face with a name. The hardest thing that we have is, is we promote cars. Yes, you have nicknames of cars. Jay Cox's Pumpkin, Tommy Franklin's Jungle Rat, Jim Halsey's Daddy Shark, things like that. But that's cool. But at the same time, that's not relatable. A nickname is cool for a car. It was awesome back in the day, and it's awesome now. But people want to know who Brian Wagner is, who Jay Cox is. They, they want to see the face because the face is real. The face is real. The emotion's real. And we're going to do our part in 2022 to bring back instances where racers can show emotion. Some good, some might be bad, but it's going to be something that we can can take internally and try to make better as we go forward to try and put our stars out there because that's what it's going to take. I'm going to say something that's going to upset a lot of people, and I'm perfectly fine with that. And I'm guessing you're probably going to agree. Street Outlaws has done more for drag racing in the past, we'll say, 10 years than most people will realize, and it's because of the personalities. 
people don't like I, I see it all the time. People bashing them and bagging them. Well, guess what? They they did it right. They un like, oh well, it's a TV show. We yeah, the race. I I've had the guys from the show on here. The racing is yeah. real. 110 yes. hosted one. Yeah. We hosted one this past year. It's as real as it gets. The TV show side of it is what hooks people in. It what's get it gets people to buy the Ryan Martin shirt. It gets people to flip off Big Chief because they don't like him. Yep. Let's let's rewind things. Back in the day, you know, when people glorify what happened in the 60s and 70s and drag racing and stands were packed. Well, that was a different time before, you know, we had cell phones and instant gratification. But guess what? People were fans of the snake, the mongoose, cha-cha. They loved or hated Connie Coletta. Racers, hear me. Use this to your advantage. Don't be hateful of the street outlaws. Take a page out of their book. Learn to use it in your favor. Exactly. It, I mean, seriously, it's, you know, it's, they've done it better than anybody. PRI people are like, oh, what's well, just a big glorified deal for these guys? Well, well, guess what? That's because they have figured out how to market themselves to non racing fans to suck them in. I'm just going to put this out there. You could do it too. Do you have to be outlandish and crazy? No. Be yourself. Be relatable. Talk to this guy Tyler that you know that they're trying to help push your brand. It, it drives me insane. It does. Yeah. It really, really and does. And you watch Street Outlaws, and you can really see it if you if you watch the show. Don't watch the racing. Watch the show. You can see what they've built. You can tell that Ryan Martin's the the pretty boy that all the ladies are going to like. So now you've pulled in a, a female crowd. Lizzie Musi's the pretty face that, that goes up there and kicks Ryan Martin's butt a lot. Well, now you've got that. You got Kai, you got that that pulls in with Lizzie. Then you've got Chuck, that's kind of the loudmouth guy that, you know, I just don't like anybody, but that's my role. Sean's kind of the OG, sits back, been there for forever, that kind of program. But you see that and you hear it. So when we hosted in No Prep Kings here. It was amazing to sit back and listen to the crowd when two cars pulled out. Not because of who that, not because of the cars, but our episode there, I can say it. Sean cut an oil line in the burnout box, had to back him off, had to clean the clean it up, all that stuff. Well, Birdman takes the competition by, moves on to the next round. Sean, we backed Sean's car off and pushed him down the chase road in front of the grandstands. I've never heard a crowd like that. Not that it's bad, not that it's good, anything like that, but the crowd flat out exploded. Not because Sean won the round, but because Sean was driving in front of him and waving at him. It wasn't anything about performance on the racetrack. It wasn't what happened with him cutting the oil line. They flat out loved the guy. Same way with Ryan Martin, same way with Kai, same way with Lizzie, all of them. Every one of those characters has people that love them and people that hate them. And that is one thing that they've done right is no matter if you like the show, dislike the show, say it's not real racing, say it's fake, whatever, I can just about guarantee you on Monday night, you've clicked it on for at least 10 minutes. You may not watch the entire episode. You may not tune in for the whole deal, but you've clicked it on just to see what's going on. To me, you know, I always, the way I explain it to people is, you know, I grew up watching wrestling, you know, back in my day, I remember Stone Cold Steve Austin, the NWO, like when that era exploded, like, again, if, if you pay attention to history, you watch these things and you watch some of the the documentaries that they talk about that particularly, again, it's, it sounds hillbilly as hell, but Stone Cold Steve Austin, how he talked about, you hear his story, how it happened and you know, how Austin 316 came about. There is no reason why I'm going to pick on Jaycox for this instance. Because perfect. I, it's a good one to pick on. Because <laughs> guess what? Jaycox could cut a Stone Cold style promo after run at the top end and call out Tommy Franklin. And Tommy could play the baby face role that has, you know, the, the snappy comebacks, but you want to root for him because he's the hero. And then again, 
just put this out there. Well, guess what? Those two line up. The crowd goes insane because it's the good guy versus the bad guy. Every yep. racer should capitalize on this. You have sponsors. You have things to say. Actually, it doesn't matter if you don't have something to say. Say something about the run. Put a soundbite out there. It's going to make a difference. It just, as you can tell, I'm passionate about this because yeah. I'm sure you see it too. You see that fruit just sitting there and no one's grabbing it. Come on, man. It is. And it's it's so – and it doesn't take national television to do it. Absolutely Look, not. Let's be honest. There's, there's Everybody's world right now is hustle and bustle, 100%. You're not sitting – there's not many people that are sitting down for hours at a time watching cable television. It just doesn't happen. Now, if you might have it on, but you're not paying attention to it for hours at a time. You're on YouTube, Netflix, listening to music, you know, right, whatever you're doing. But YouTube is a hot commodity right now. And, and we've really kind of taken a, an initiative to we're going to try to build a PDRA YouTube program because we feel like that we can take action on the racetrack, top end interviews, pit interviews, same program that you're talking, you know, you know, Jay Cox is going to run his mouth. It's just a matter of time. Just put a camera in his face and let it hang out. Just let it hang out. He'll dodge it for a little while, but he'll slip. Let's just be honest. Jay likes to talk. Now, Tommy likes to be the nice guy. Halsey's going to be the quiet killer. Let's just be honest. He's earned it. When you go three peak, you can be the side, the silent killer. But at some point, you know you're going to get a line out of Jay. You know you're going to get a line out of Tommy. You know you're going to get a line or a look out of Jim Halsey. Well, you've just built a three-minute video just with little grabs here and there, a little bit of action on the racetrack, action in the pits. You've built a three-minute video of three terrors and pro nitrous. I don't know. But then that goes on YouTube, and it just slowly starts building. And, and, and we really feel like that's something that we've – not done in the past, 100%. Um, but we also have taken the time to fix our on-track problems, um, some internal problems, get, getting everything right so we have the steps going forward that when we implement these plans, we can execute. Um, in the past, I don't feel like we could have done that. And what's interesting on that is, you know, being in where I'm at and kind of seeing the things I've seen, when, when Flow Racing came on the scene and they brought mm -hmm. in the speed video, full disclosure, I used to – work for speed video they were part of our company they came in and i knew who flow was because they're dirt track racing stuff yes I got, I got excited because i was watching what they did and knew what they could potentially bring because if you watch like their little mini documentaries like where they cover all of indiana sprint week and what i was talking about I was like you guys you have a target rich environment in the drag racing world they had to take their first year to start figuring out, you know, how are they going to attack this new entity? But they yeah. listen and you look at like what they did with Roger Holder. They were following him at one of Duck's races when he put that car into low orbit. They put together a 25 minute show about it. They yeah. put the, they, they are picking that up, too. And this is where to kind of go with what the PDA is doing. I think what you're going to be able to see now is a tie between that you know, the live stream service and all of this coming together to start creating this awesome platform that racers can be exposed more on a much bigger scale that doesn't require cable TV. Correct. And that's, let, let's be honest, we've all looked at cable TV. Hey, what's this cost? Let's just look it up. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's got a lot of commas in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's not something that a, a regular racing series or a racetrack or anything like that can handle um it doesn't make financial sense but you look at a, a platform like a youtube that can catapult you to possibly a platform like a netflix how many people out there right now have netflix a lot there there's a lot going on and i i, I due to uh if i if i said it i would probably be shot and killed so i got to keep it close to the vest but i will say that there are a lot of potential opportunities currently being moved in the drag racing world and looked at for your Netflix, your Amazon, yeah. your Hulu. And if racers want to get on that street outlaw style train, 
they need to start putting themselves out there and they need to do something like, you know, it costs free 99 for YouTube in general. And that, again, that ties into one of my other rants that more tracks, more organizations, you know, I will use pro media. They are, they do good with their YouTube. They've been working on it. You know, the NHRA and their giant juggernaut entity, they are good on it. So it makes me happy to hear that the, the PDRA is going to get on that train and being able to leverage that with your live stream partner and your other media partners. That's how you, that's how you build things. That's it. That's Correct. called a, that's called a foundation. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and that's something that, you know, I wanted to get, I, I would love to have been farther ahead on this. Um, but I didn't want to walk. I didn't want to run before we walked. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get the right people in place. Jason Reese has, has come on board last season or in 21. Um, has been a monster for us, um, really has helped in a lot of different entities. Uh, we got a lot of new marketing plans and Jason's right on top of it. So I'm proud some. to have him on board and it's going to be a good one. Oh, I got so many Jason stories. So oh, we, well, they don't have enough time for these. No, we, <laughs> I, I need to get him on the show. Just yes. like the, the story. Actually, I, I think, let me walk that back a little bit. I have a lot of Jason stories I can't tell. I think we all do. (laughs) It's sort of like there's a lot of people out there. I have a lot of, you know, it was funny. I had Kurt Johnson on the show. We were talking about this. They're like, there's a lot of stories that are awesome that we just can't tell for fear of criminal prosecution and potentially losing our jobs. Yes, 100%. You you know, case in point last week at BRI. No. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff where you just, you know, just turn your head, be like, well, I'm going to pretend I didn't see that, you know, just kind of keep rolling Mm -hmm. on down the road. Exactly right. Well, Tyler, you know, no, no one ever escapes the Dragzine podcast question of fun. And I've thrown all kinds of fun stuff at people. And, you know, a lot of people tend to forget that you've spent a little time behind the wheel and whatnot. And yep. you, know, you, uh, you, you learn that uh, you can't do everything. And sometimes, you know, driving's got to take the side seat. You got to, long story short, it sucks being an adult, right? It does. <laughs> So here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's the question. Okay. You don't, you don't have to be an adult anymore. You have become independently wealthy. You have FU money. So you got unlimited budget all the time in the world, all the resources, you know, you are the wolf of the drag strip, if you will, you know, you're handing out fun coupons like Leonardo in the movie. What are you going to race? What are you going to build? And what, why that clash? You know, the, the world is your oysters. What are you going to do? Definitely, I'd have a bracket car. Um, I grew up with that. That that was kind of my deal. Um, so I've, I would always have some kind of tie to the bracket world. Um, I'm actually going to pick up my 69 Camaro uh, whenever I go home for Christmas. So it would probably be a 69 Camaro. Um, they've always been close to me. Um, my dad owned one. That was my first car. Uh, it, it just kind of – I've always been a 69 Camaro guy. I would have to look like a real car, though, uh, not a two-chassis car, you know, stock roof and quarters. Um, and, and really go from there. Have a have a nostalgia look on the outside, but some new muscle under the hood. But if I was if I was looking for any class that I was going to go run, it would probably be pro mod. Um, I've always had that dream of of driving a pro mod. Um, I enjoyed my time in Ultra Street on the small tire deal. Um, that was fun for when it was um, kind of in the middle of the hotbed of, of radio racing when I was able to jump into Ultra Street. Um, really enjoyed that time, had an excellent car and and could have won just about any race we pulled in the parking lot with. Um, Josh Ledford, Mark Mincer, Mag. Um, we all had had put in a lot of time on that thing and we did good. Um, but if I was if I had the money to do it, um, and money and the time to do it, I would definitely run Pro Mod. Um, don't know what combination. Don't I, you know, I've never been a nitrous guy. And then I hang out with Tommy a lot now and and we He's kind of got me not really at the point of where I, I say I could go out and do it. Um, always been a pro charger guy. That's what I had on my Mustang. Uh, so I know that program very well. Um, just familiar, safe. You know, you, you know that program. So when you know something, it, it's a little bit easier to take in. But definitely, if if I had the money and the time to do it, I, I would love to, to campaign a pro mod at some point in my life. I tell people all the time, if I was going to build, had that same scenario, I'd build a pro mod because you could spit and hit a pro mod race pretty much anywhere. The, yeah. p- pick your part of the country. What do you want to race? It's it's, yeah. it's the best way to get laps in. 
Yeah, for sure. You know you go race the PDRA with the baddest pro mod racers on the planet race. Come on now. There you go. Well, Tyler, our time here is coming to an end, and I'd like to give my guests their opportunity to thank everybody they need to thank and channel their inner John Force and just put all that out there. So the floor is yours, my friend. Tell people where they can learn more, what you got going on, who you need to thank, and uh, whatever else you got to say. So take it away. Yep. First off, I got to say thank you to my family. Um, They've always had my back um, as much as racing confuses most of my family. Um, They've always – watch me follow my dreams and push me to do so. Uh, same with Tommy and Judy Franklin, uh, Amber and Ashley both. Um, they've always, ever since I met them four years ago, they've put me first and, and why they, why they picked me, I don't know. Um, but I'm blessed to, to have them in my corner, um, to learn from them and, and to move forward with, with all the projects that we have. Um, all our marketing partners at Virginia Motorsports Park and the PDRA series, uh, check them all out on our, on both of our websites. Uh, we both have our 2022 schedules up as well, um, along with all of our employees and all of our teams. Uh, I mean, I've got two awesome, awesome programs, um, great employees, great people. Um, they love their, they love racing. They love the racers themselves and everybody involved. So thank you to all of everybody in my corner. I, I'm not going to name names because if I do, I'm going to forget somebody and somebody's going to be mad at me. Um, check out racevmp.com and PDRA660.com for all information on Virginia Motorsports Park and the PDRA series. There you have it. I got to thank my sponsors, of course, Performance Distributors, Airflow Research, ProCharger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, Mosier Engineering, Comp Cams, Elderbrock, Fuel AirSpark Technology, Manly, JE Pistons, and Dart. Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great way to end the year out. I'm excited to get my project cars running so i can come be in the staging lanes and yelling at you that the ice isn't cold enough at the concession stand and that it's just <laughs> not warm enough outside and my dog crapped in my pit space and that's your fault you need to fix it can't wait that's right you know that come on the, the, the typical fun stuff right all exactly. serious tyler thank you so much i look forward to seeing you next year thanks brian thanks for the opportunity everybody have a merry christmas and a happy new year